Hey, so if today's your first day ever at our church, or maybe it's your first day for this series, we are wrapping it up. Today's the finale, but if you want to catch up, if today interests you enough, hopefully it will, that you'll be intrigued to figure out uh, what else we talked about, or if you've got some family and friends and what we talk about today, this is going to be personal for a lot of us. This is going to hit so close to home. And so if you've got some friends and you're thinking, I wish my sister was here, I wish my friend was here, because they're struggling with what we're going to discuss today, you can send them to this website right here, watchhappyseries.com, and you can find all of these messages. You can uh, watch them all right there. You can find discussion questions to talk about them with your friends. If you're not in a small group, that's a way that you can do that. And so in just a minute, we're going to jump into wrapping up this series. But before we do, i got to tell you about what's coming up next week. I am so excited about this new series we're going to start, and so I want to take a minute to tease it just a little bit to hopefully get you intrigued a little bit. And this is the perfect series to bring friends to, the perfect series to bring friends to, because it doesn't matter who you know, it doesn't matter where they are in their faith, it doesn't matter whether they believe in God or not. What we're going to talk about is something all of us, absolutely every one of us, have to deal with in some way. So next week we start this series called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. This is going to be so much fun. I'll tell you why. If you're, if you're married, if you're married, listen to me for just a minute. If you're married, here's the thing about this series. This is going to be so helpful for you because in your own way, you have to deal with love, sex, and dating all the time in your marriage relationship. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have some surprises. I'm not telling you anything else, but we're going to have some surprises for all of you who are married that are, you're going to find extremely helpful as you go through the series. I believe that the very best gift, if you're married, the very best gift that you can give your children or your future children or your grandchildren or your future grandchildren is a healthy marriage. There's nothing better you can give. So what we're going to do during this series, for those of you who are married, is we're going to give you some tools to help you take your marriage to the next level. But that being said, all of you who are not married, this is why I'm so pumped about this series. I'm actually going to spend the next four weeks addressing you directly and talking with you and discussing with you some of these principles. This is going to be geared towards you. The married people are going to be able to take it and apply it to their situation. But this is for you because, and I'm, I don't want to give too much of it away, but I've got a lot of friends who are not married, and I end up in a lot of conversations. As you might imagine, we have so many uh, single adults in our church. I end up in so many conversations with them about love, sex, and dating. And there's so much going on. It gets so emotional, and it can be so confusing. And what happens is I hear all of these situations and scenarios, and I get all of these questions. And then I go home, I go home, and I look at my wife, and I tell her about what happened and the choice that was made and, you know, how it turned out and it made a mess of everything. And I'm like, why didn't they know? Why didn't they know? So after a while, I just realized, well, maybe they don't know because nobody's ever told them. So I'm going to take four weeks as we go through this to basically talk about all the things that you ought to know to help this become your single season of life, to help it become an extraordinary season of your life. And then if you want to get married one day to set you up, to have extraordinary marriages as well. So that's coming up. That's why I'm telling you, it's a, it's a perfect series to invite some friends. If you are a parent of a teenager, particularly a high school student, you need to get them to this series. If you have some kids who are college students, you need to get them to this series. If you have grandkids, you need to get them to this series. This is going to be something that applies and is very relevant to us all. Now, we're going to wrap up today with what makes you happy. And the question we've been asking from the very beginning is a simple one. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? And what I've said for the last few weeks, what we've discovered is some of us don't know 
Some of us knew and we forgot and we've been distracted from it. But for, for a lot of us, what's happened is we think we know the answer to this question, but it's not really our answer. We've just adopted what all the voices around us have told us. There's so many voices saying, hey, this will make you happy, this will make you happy. You know, it's media, it's, we see things in movies, or we hear things in music. There's marketing, there's so much marketing. And marketer's job, the job of any great marketer, the job of any great company, is to convince us that the what they are selling, the thing they are selling, the product they are selling, is the answer to this question. That's, and I'm not against marketers. I've got a business degree. I understand that. I'm all for marketing. But that's just what a marketer is supposed to do. That's what all great companies are supposed to do. They want to make a connection in your mind between your happiness and possessing, obtaining, purchasing the product that they're offering. That is all marketing is, and the best companies do it extraordinarily well. As a matter of fact, the, there's one company in particular, and there are a lot that do a great job, but there's one company in particular that I think probably sits at the top right now when it comes to taking their what, their product, and making it the answer to this question for people all over the world because their logo is the most recognizable logo in the world. Anybody want to shout out a guess? You got any idea? I heard a lot, and I have no clue what you said. So we'll see if anybody's right. It's this right here. It's this right here. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is actually the most recognizable logo in the world. Now, Coke has an internal goal in their company. You probably don't know this, but within their company, Coca-Cola's goal and mission is to make sure there is a Coke within arm's reach of every person on the planet. How's that for an ambitious goal, huh? They want to make sure there is a Coke within arm's reach of every single person on the planet. But what they do publicly to help make that happen, and they're getting close. They're not there. They can't get in North Korea. There's a few other countries they can't get in, but they're working on it. But the, you know what they do to make that happen? They market happiness to us in the form of Coke. For the last seven years, up until 2016, for the previous seven years, their slogan was, Open happiness. Open happiness. Not open sugared water. That would have been accurate, but that's not their slogan. Open happiness. And then they changed it last year to taste the feeling. Well, what? I'm not tasting a feeling. Again, I'm, I'm tasting Coke. No, no, no. They don't want you to think that. They want you to think, no, no, the minute I pop open a Coke and I start to chug it, there's happiness there. There's happiness there. Now, again, stop and think about this. All they're doing is selling a sugared water. But they have convinced us, or they're trying to convince us, that sugared water is going to make us happy. And you know what? You look around and you find there are plenty of people who buy into that. Look at this nut. Look at that nut. If you're new around here, this is my longtime friend, Jared Martin. He leads our family ministry, and he is a Coca-Cola fanatic, if you couldn't tell. Like, that wasn't staged. That's how excited he is about Coke. So many people buy into, oh, my goodness, this, this is the thing. Now, in Jared's case, just so you know, you can be praying for him. He's in a Coke detox program right now, actually. He's trying to wean him, not the white powdery substance, like the, anyway, the, the, actual, the actual drink. I think he's down to one a week or something. He's doing good. But they do a great job, don't they? Coke does a great job. So many companies, there are other companies. You can think about Apple. You can, you, we can just go through the gamut. All they're doing is selling us. Their product is the answer to our question. Their product is what makes us happy. But over the last few weeks, we have discovered that there is actually a very different answer, and there's nothing wrong with Coke or Apple or anything else that you love. Those things bring some momentary happiness. We'll talk about that in a minute and why that's different from, from what we're talking about. But the answer to our question, what makes you happy, is actually something very different. It's no thing. No thing makes us happy because 
everything, every product, every what that you or I possess leaks its happiness. It does. It makes us happy for a moment, but there's always an expiration date on that happiness. It makes us happy for a moment, but eventually the happiness fades. And as we've said, if an aging what, if an aging thing, if an aging possession diminishes your happiness, then you were never happy to begin with. You were excited about it. That's great. There's nothing wrong with excitement. But there's a big difference between that and actually being happy. No thing will ultimately make you happy. But there is a second answer to this, and I've touched on this throughout the series. But I don't think I've done a really good job, and it may have even created a little confusion for you, so I want to clarify, because there's a second answer to this, and it's important to understand for this series. The second answer is that sowing makes you happy. Now, here's all I mean by that. When you sow the right decisions today, you end up reaping happiness tomorrow. If you sow the right decisions now, you're going to reap happiness later. You don't get to sow the right decisions today and happiness is the immediate byproduct. That's not what we're talking about. There is a big difference between momentary happiness and lasting happiness. And what I'm talking about in this series and what we're trying to wrap our arms around is the idea of there are some things you can sow, there are some decisions you can make, there are some choices that you can embrace that are going to bring you not happiness in the instant, not happiness in the moment, not happiness tomorrow necessarily, but down the road you're going to experience lasting happiness because of what you have done. Now, here's the other thing I want to clarify and just make sure we're all on the same page about. When I'm talking about lasting happiness, I'm not talking about the fact that you're going to be happy in every moment in any circumstance no matter what it is. That's ridiculous. And there's nothing wrong with momentary happiness. But just because you don't have momentary happiness doesn't mean you don't have lasting happiness. Lasting happiness looks this way. You may not be happy about the situation or circumstance you're in. But you can, if you have lasting happiness, you can be happy in the situation or circumstance. You may be sad about a circumstance you're in. You may be heartbroken over a a situation you're facing. But at the same time, there is a way in the midst of that sadness, that heartbreak, or that struggle to still know you're content, to still know there's joy, to still know you have lasting happiness, that you have, as we've talked about, peace. But in order to experience those things, you've got to sow the right things today. You've got to sow in the right areas. As we've talked about, happiness is a lot more about who than it is what. It's about who than what. So you've got to sow some decisions that lead to peace with the right group of who's. And we'll just review this one more time. There are three groups. Happy people are at peace with themselves. You need to be making decisions today that are going to help you be at peace with yourself later. Because happy people are always comfortable in their own skin. They're not insecure. They understand you know, who they are and where they are and what you know, you know, the pros and the cons, the strengths and the weaknesses. But they're at peace with themselves. And you cannot be happy in the long run if you're not at peace with yourself. Secondly, happy people are always at peace with others. We're going to talk more about this today. But argumentative people are not happy people. People who have conflicts and relational wreckage strewn all throughout their past, they are not happy people. You've got to be at peace with others to have lasting happiness. And then thirdly, and I've said if you're not a Christian, you might push back on this, and I understand that. But I would suggest that happy people are at peace with God. At least the happiest people are ones who have come to understand that they can be at peace with their Heavenly Father. 
Now, the reason this one's so important, we talked about this last week. If you weren't here, you know, you want to push back on this, just go back. I made a case for this. You may not agree, but I made a case for this last week because here's what we know. Peace with God enables us to be at peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. When you have peace with God, when you can, you know, lay down at night and know, okay, everything is good between God and me. I know I have a heavenly father who cares about me, loves me, and wants a relationship with me. When you know that's true, when you know there's a God in heaven who has forgiven you, you can be at peace with yourself. You can forgive yourself. But the other thing that's equally important is when you have peace with God, it equips you to make peace with others. Now, here's the thing. You know this. This is true for every single one of us, no matter who you are. It is hard it is hard to be at peace with people all the time, isn't it? I mean, it's just a struggle. Every one of us in here have been hurt by people at, at different points. And I'm not talking the kind of slights where it, it was just an accident. Like, there are things that people do to us, and they didn't mean to hurt us, and it was just an accident. And, you know, it's kind of like when somebody bumps into you, you don't need to say, okay, I'll forgive you for that. It's more like, hey, it's okay. You know, we're just going to move on. I'm talking about the kind of hurts that resonate deeply in our hearts and in our souls. The kind of hurts that we can't let go of, the kind of hurts that just seem to follow us along, the kind of hurts that, that hit us where it matters most, the kind of hurts that shape our heart, in some cases scar our hearts. We all have some stories, every single one of us. And every time something like that happens to you, the reason it's so difficult to move beyond it is because something is taken from you. There's a debt-debtor create, uh, relationship created every time someone hurts you deeply. Every time you go through some relational pain, there is a debt-debtor relationship. Sometimes what's taken from you is tangible. A lot of times there's something tangible. You know, they may have taken money. They may have taken a possession. They may have taken your health away. There are a lot of different things you could talk about. You know, they're tangible things that they took. But the things that really hurt the deepest, and even if something tangible was taken from you, the, when you start peeling back the layers, the thing you find at the heart of it all it's what gets lodged in our heart and what makes it so difficult to let go, what makes it so difficult to make peace are the intangible things that are always taken from us when somebody hurts us. And by intangible, it may, I mean things like your sense of safety. You may have gone through some things. There may have been some abuse. There may have been some issues arise. That, I mean, they, it took a lot from you, but one of the things that hurts the most is it took your sense of safety. It may have taken your sense of security. If you've ever been through a divorce... If, you, if you're a kid and your parents went through a divorce, one of the things that shook you is it took a sense of security away from you. It may have been your sense of value, your sense of self-worth. It could have been your ability to trust somebody else. That's a huge one. There are always tangible and intangible things taken away from us, and we, th- you just can't help this. Whenever someone hurts you at that level, it shapes you. It defines you in some way. But... Here's what we know. Here's what all of us have discovered. Here's what all of us realize. And you don't even have to be a Christian. I mean, Scripture teaches this, but you don't have to be a Christian because research today shows this. That there is something that shapes us a lot more than what's been done to us. And it is how we respond to what's been done to us. I mean, the hurt shapes us. How we respond to it shapes us even deeper. And the natural response for all of us whenever we're hurt, this is true for everybody, the natural response is to do this right here. It's to hold a grudge and to get revenge. Isn't that true? 
I just want to hold a grudge and get revenge. And the reason that's true for all of us, and if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I never do that, then you're just not being honest with yourself. All of us want to do this when we're hurt deeply enough. And I'll tell you how you know. Because you begin to have imaginary conversations with those people, don't you? You have imaginary scenarios play out in your head. And there is actually some happiness in the moment that you experience. It's like one of life's little guilty pleasures. Those imaginary conversations feel so good when you have them. Because you always win, and you're always proven right, and they always get what they deserve. And this, this is at least in my conversations or you know, my imagination. It's always very public. That's what I love most about it. It's like everybody saw, you know. And that's just an indication that you still hadn't moved beyond it and you still hadn't healed it. You're holding a grudge. You're trying to get revenge. It's just natural, and it? It's human nature to want to do this. The problem with this, the problem with this is simply the longer you hold a grudge, the longer the grudge has a hold on you. And again, I don't have to convince you of this. It feels good in the moment to hold a grudge. There is momentary happiness that comes whenever we try to get revenge, whenever we hold a grudge. But it undermines our long-term happiness because eventually the grudge gets a hold of us. And when you let that happen, you are actually creating issues for your own future. And the reason is very simple, because unforgiveness undermines your happiness. Unforgiveness undermines your happiness, not the happiness of other people. Unforgiveness undermines your own happiness. Now, all of us, we understand this intellectually, but it is very, very difficult to embrace very, very difficult to embrace emotionally, isn't it? It's so difficult. When you, we start talking about this, we immediately think, whoa, wait just a minute. i, I got to, let me tell you my story. Like, m- my situation's different. I've tried to forgive, Matt. I understand it's important to forgive, but I've tried to forgive. I can't seem to forgive. Or I just don't want to forgive. If you knew my story, if you understood what happened, I mean, you don't realize how, how painful, how evil you might even use that term, how terrible this person was and what they did to me. Like, they don't deserve forgiveness. But forgiveness, and this is what we want to talk about today, forgiveness is never offered for the benefit of the person that hurt you. Forgiveness is for you and not them. And it's for you because anything that breaks peace between you and somebody else undermines your happiness, and it deserves for you to pay careful attention to it. And unforgiveness always undermines not the happiness of the person that hurts you, but your own. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote about this. He wrote about it in a lot of places, but one of them was a letter he wrote to Christians who were living in Rome. Now, before we read it, let me just tell you a couple things, because when we read through this, for some of you in particular who are right now wrestling, or maybe in your past, you have gone through some really, really hurtful or painful things. This is going to sound very insensitive, what Paul writes. So before we read it, let me give you a little bit of context. There are two things you need to know. The first one is this. When Paul wrote this to these Christians in Rome, he had never been there. He had never met any of them, which simply means this. The advice that he gives them, the instructions he gives them on how to deal with their unforgiveness, he believed it should apply to all people in all places and all times, regardless of their story, regardless of their story. He said, okay, you got, you got your stories, and I understand you got your stories, and I'd be heartbroken if I sat there and heard your story. But Paul would tell us it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what I'm telling you needs to be applied. What I'm telling you 
is relevant for you regardless of your story. It applies to all of us. And the second thing, and this is important, the second thing about this context you need to understand is that Paul carried some tremendous authority to give us the advice that he gave us. And the reason he carried authority is because Paul knew as well as anyone what it was like to be hurt deeply. Here was a man who had lost everything once he became a Christian. Here was a man who you began to read through his story, and he was beaten, whipped, flogged multiple times. Here was a guy who was falsely imprisoned. Here was a guy who had been tortured. Here was a guy who had been stoned. Here was a guy who had been kicked out by his own people on more than one occasion. Here was a guy who had endured a kind of abuse and a kind of torture in some cases that was indescribable. And yet, in spite of all of these repeated experiences he had had, Paul said, you know what? You still got to apply this. You know what? In spite of everything I've gone through, I still apply this. So we have to listen. We have to listen because after what he went through, if he understood this and was willing to apply it in his own life, none of us, none of us have a story that exempts us from it ourselves. So in Romans chapter 12, as he's writing to these Christians, here's what he has to say to them. It's so interesting. He, said, he starts out by saying, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, it's important to understand this, to catch this. Paul was not saying, he didn't know your story, but Paul was basically saying, whatever your story is, whatever your pain is, whatever your hurt is, I'm not asking you to play it down. I'm not asking you to minimize the offense. I'm not asking you to say, no, 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 it wasn't a big deal. Forgiveness doesn't mean you minimize the offense and say it wasn't a big deal. Let's just forget about it and move on. You do that with accidents. You don't do that with real hurt and real pain. No, Paul actually used a very strong word to describe what happened to you and what happened to me. What's this word right here? Everybody together. Yeah, evil, evil. Maybe what's happened to you was so painful. You've used this term. Maybe you feel like, well, that's a little strong for what I went through. But Paul's saying, no, no, it's, it's, you don't have to minimize it. What happened to you was evil. It was serious. You should take it that way. But he also says, I don't care what your story is, and I don't care how evil it is. You should not repay anyone, anyone. But let me tell you about what he, no, it doesn't matter. Yes, it was evil. Yes, maybe he was evil or she was evil. But it doesn't matter. You, Paul says, should not repay anyone evil for evil. In other words, your response to their evil should not be evil of your own. Instead, here's the advice he gives us. Verse eight, uh, he goes on, verse 17, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He says, you've had evil done to you. Here's what you should do. You should be very careful that everything you do in terms of your response is right in the eyes of everyone, to which we all say the same thing, but that's not fair. That's not fair, Paul. That's not fair. And I would say to you what I tell my kids all the time. When they say, it's not fair, I say, fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. The standard is not fair anymore. Like, it's not been fair in this world for a long time. Besides, do you want things to be fair or do you want to be happy? You can't have both. Do you want things to be fair or do you want to be happy? Your job and my job, Paul says, is not to do what's fair. It is to do what is right. And not what is right in the eyes of our friends who really care about us and love us and they're as fired up as we are and so they're telling us, you get them and you deserve and you should and they, you know, they deserve. No, 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 no. Paul says, you do what's right in the eyes of everyone. 
In other words, if you went to some wise people who were not emotionally involved in this situation and you told them how you were about to respond, would they say, that's the right thing to do? Paul says, you've got to broaden your perspective. You've got to pull away from the emotion. And you need to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Well, what exactly is that? Paul says, it is simply this, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with every one. Now, I want to point out a couple of things here. First of all, he says, if it's possible. This is important to understand. Because forgiveness, forgiveness is something you can offer to anyone. But peace with someone may or may not be possible. You can do your part, but you have no control over theirs. And the reason I bring this up is because some of you are carrying around a load and a responsibility you shouldn't carry around. You had a relational issue or relational rift between you and someone, and you have done everything in your power to make peace with that person. You've done everything in your power to make it right. Maybe you were the one who inflicted the pain, or maybe you were the one that received it, but you have done all you can do to be at peace with them. And they refuse, and you still go to bed at night feeling the weight of that. They refused, and every time you see them, it still tears you up. Listen, you can let that go. Paul said, as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, because it's not always possible, you don't always get the response you want to be at peace. But if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. And when you've done your part and when you've done everything you should do, you then can be at peace regardless of what they choose to do in return. Now, the other thing that this implies, and it's important for us to get, is that peace is not the same thing as partnership. Don't mix this up because this happens a lot. Peace isn't the same thing as partnership. In other words, I'll give you a couple simple examples. If, if you're in a workplace situation where somebody in your workplace stole from you, somebody in your workplace took something from you, should you forgive that person? Absolutely. Should you just resume the relationship as if nothing happened and continue to trust them implicitly? No. Forgiveness is instant. Trust has to be rebuilt, and that takes a lot of time. So Paul's not saying when he says forgive them and be at peace with them that you just need to resume the relationship. It would be irresponsible of you to do that. If you've been in a situation where you've been abused by someone, you shouldn't just, being at peace doesn't mean, well, I'm just going to forgive and we're just going to keep going in the relationship and act like nothing happened and we'll just, you know, we'll just stay right here and I'll just start trusting you again. No, that's irresponsible. Peace doesn't equal partnership. But forgiveness can be instant. And the thing you do on your end to try to be at peace with that person can be instant. You can be at peace without fully implicitly trusting them So Paul's not saying don't deny nothing happened. Be at peace doesn't mean you have to be a partner again. Now, here's the thing about this advice that he gives. Let's just be honest about it. The reality is this is not very emotionally satisfying, is it? Like when I tell you this and you think about this, you don't don't get excited and go, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to practice that. There is nothing emotionally satisfying about this at all because our thought, and this, I get it, it's just human nature. Our thought is if I forgive, if I do everything in my power to be at peace, it feels to me as if I'm letting that person off the hook. It feels to me as if justice isn't being done. It feels to me as if they're getting away with what they did. And when you and I feel that way, let me tell you what's happened. We have gotten confused about our role and our responsibility in this process. 
Paul says, you have forgotten who's responsible for what, and you have forgotten. You become confused about what you should and should not do in a situation that requires forgiveness and peace. And so he explains this for us, and this helps all of us if we understand this and embrace it. It will help you when when you begin to follow the path, Paul says, and it is so unsatisfying emotionally, you have to remind yourself of this. He goes on, verse 19, do not take revenge. Well, that's what we want to do because that's what seems emotionally satisfying. He says, don't do it. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay says the Lord. Now let me ask you a couple questions. These are not trick questions. You can answer out loud, okay? Everybody together. According to Paul, whose responsibility is it to avenge the wrong done to you? Whose is it? God's, absolutely. So when you try to avenge a wrong done to you, whose role have you taken? God's. God's. Paul says, we get this confused. Paul says, you got to step back and realize. You can't avenge the wrongs done to you. If you try to repay that person for what they did, it actually hurts you the most. Now, let me see if I can explain this. You're not capable, you're not equipped to avenge the wrongs done for you. And here's why. Because every time you or I try to avenge a wrong, what drives that in our heart are very unhealthy things. What drives you avenging a wrong done to you is bitterness. It's anger, unhealthy anger. It's revenge. It's resentment. Those are the kinds of things that when they get lodged in your heart, they do not undermine the happiness of the person who hurts you. They undermine your own happiness. As you may have heard it said before, when you allow those things to lodge in your heart, It's like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person. It only hurts you. And in the long run, you will lose your ability to be happy. You might get a satisfying amount of revenge. You might walk away feeling like, I got them. I got them back. They got what they deserved. But what it's cost you is something far greater. It has cost you the ability to have happiness because you have allowed your heart to be flooded, to be scarred, to be damaged by some very unhealthy emotions. Your heavenly father is the only one who is adequately equipped to avenge the wrongs done for you because he's the only one who's driven simply by justice. Does justice need to be done? Absolutely. Paul says you just need to remember God wants to see justice done, and he will eventually. Everyone's going to give an account for what they've done, and eventually God's going to make sure justice is done for every single person. But he's not doing it out of bitterness, resentment, revenge, or rage. He's doing it from a healthy place, and he's doing it in a healthy way. His role is to avenge. Paul says, you have a role. Paul says, I have a role. And again, it's not very emotionally satisfying. But the best thing for you, the best thing for your heart, the best thing for your happiness, Paul says, is simply this. Verse 20. He goes on, he says, on the contrary, here's your role. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. You're going, no, no, come on now. Paul says, nope, this is really what you should do. 
when the person who's hurt you, when you see they're in need, you see them hungry, do not turn a blind eye. Look over at that and say, well, they're getting exactly what they deserve and I'm going on about my way. Paul says, nope, you feed them. You feed them. And not, not rice cakes and kale salad. Like, you feed them something good. You, you cookie mistake. You take her to dumplings, and you top it off with a cake, piece of cake at the end. Like, you feed them the best meal you can feed them. You show kindness to the one who showed no kindness to you. He goes on, if he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I like the last part of that, don't you? I mean, that's what we're shooting for. I just don't want to do the first part. But you've heard this phrase, kill him with kindness. Well, this is what Paul taught. It started with him. He said, when somebody's hurt you, your role in the midst of that is to kill them with kindness. Your role is to give them exactly what they do not deserve. Compassion, mercy, and kindness. It is God's role to avenge the wrong done to you. You just leave it to him to take care of that. He can do a better job than you can anyway. Your job is to respond with kindness. Why? Not for their benefit. This isn't about them. This is about you. This is about your lasting happiness. Because Paul knew that there are only two possible outcomes. There are two very predictable destinations, and only two, whenever someone hurts you deeply. You're going to end up in one of two places. He ends with this, verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil. He says, this is one of the outcomes. If you choose to try to avenge the wrongs yourself you're eventually going to be overcome by evil. Your heart's going to be flooded with things that hurt you. You're sabotaging your own future, your own future relationships, and your own future happiness. So he says, don't do it. Do not be overcome by evil. Instead, overcome evil with good. Overcome the ability for that evil to lodge in your heart by showing kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Because unforgiveness undermines your own happiness. Now, here's the thing, and I get this, and I, I want to be sensitive to this, because some of you, some of us, we're thinking about things that have happened in our past, and maybe everything's not cleaned up, and maybe we don't feel like we're at peace, but I mean, we kind of moved on. We need to clean it up. We know we do. But there's some of you who have experienced some things in your past, or maybe you're going through something right now, and just talking about this today, you, you hate it. You hate sitting there. It's made you so uncomfortable because your hurt is so deep and your pain is so raw right now, and I get that. And you want to look at me and say, no, 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 you don't understand. Let me tell you my story, and how could you ever tell me to forgive them after what they did? Because some of you have had some things done to you that are nothing short of evil. You've had some things done to you that are horrible. You've experienced some things nobody should ever experience. And you're having one of two reactions. You're either saying, Matt, I, I, I tried to forgive. I can't forgive. This, one, this just hurts too much. This wrecked my life. I will never be able to fully forgive. I will never fully heal from that. Or you're saying, are you kidding me? I don't even want to. 
Are you kidding me? They don't deserve. Are you kidding me? I would never, and I'm offended that you would even tell me I should forgive them. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to be up front with you. I don't really know what to tell you here. If you're not a Christian, I get it. I understand why you feel that way. And I don't really know what to tell you. I don't have any great solutions for you on how to move beyond that. But maybe the best thing for you is to understand the viewpoint and the perspective from those of us who are Christians. Because if you're a Christian, listen, if you're a Christian and the pain is so raw and the hurt is so deep, we believe, we believe you can and you should forgive regardless of your story, regardless of the evil done to you. You can and you should. And as Christians, the reason we believe that is true is because of this symbol right here. It's because of the cross. It's because of what this symbolizes and it's because of what this means. Now, all of us, whether it's in a movie like The Passion of the Christ or it's, you know, some, some place, some shape, form, or fashion, all of us have an image in our minds of what it looked like when Jesus was crucified. It's been portrayed in a lot of different ways. But typically the way it's portrayed is that Jesus is hanging on a cross that's, you know, 10 feet in the air, 15 feet in the air, and he's hanging way up above everybody. But in the part of the world where Jesus was crucified, history tells us that that's not actually how the Romans usually crucified people. Normally, the Romans in that part of the world, when they would crucify someone, they would raise them, they would put them on the cross, nail them to the cross, but they wouldn't raise that cross way high in the air. They would leave it just, they would leave that person hanging just above the ground. And the reason the Romans did that is they were sending a message. They were sending a message to every single person who viewed that crucifixion. Don't you dare do what this person has done. And they wanted the suffering and the agony and the pain to be as up close and personal as it could possibly be. They wanted everybody to have a front row seat to it. But when Jesus was crucified, not only were the Romans sending a message, but your heavenly Father was sending a message. He was sending a message to all of us that, you know what? I want you to come up, and I want you to get a good look. And I want you to be eye to eye and face to face with undeserved forgiveness. I want you to see it. And I want you to see what it cost me. And I want you to see how painful it was. But I don't, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to be removed from it. I want you to get a personal look in the eyes of undeserved forgiveness. So if... You're a follower of Jesus. Your heavenly Father would say to you, you can and you should forgive even those who do not deserve it because you have experienced undeserved forgiveness. As Paul wrote in chapter 5 of Romans, your heavenly Father demonstrated his love for you in that while you and I were still sinners, in other words, while we had wanted nothing to do with God, he said, that's okay. Christ is going to die for you anyway. You're going to get something you have not earned, you currently do not want, and it's completely undeserved. So for those of us who are Christians, if you'd say, Matt, why should I forgive? My answer to you would be simply this, because forgiven people forgive. That's it. Forgiven people forgive.
It is that simple. You forgive and I forgive because we have been the recipients of extraordinary forgiveness. You can be at peace with the people who have hurt you deeply because your heavenly Father has made peace with you. You can't give what you have not received. You can't pass on what you have not experienced. But once you experience a grace and a forgiveness that he offers that is so undeserved, you now have the ability to do that. And you will never give someone else forgiveness as more undeserved than the forgiveness you have been given and I have been given ourselves. Forgiven people don't have an option but to forgive. Over in a letter to the Ephesians, Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another. Doesn't matter what they do to you. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Why do I forgive them? Not because they deserve it. I forgive them because I have been the recipient of an extraordinary grace, love, and forgiveness. So, here's my question for you. It's an uncomfortable one. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to make peace with? It may be from something years and years ago, and you think, ah, I've moved beyond it. But you know, whenever it comes to mind, whenever you see that person, whenever you think about it, just not quite at peace there. Maybe something that's really raw today. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to make peace with? Who is it that you secretly hope gets what they deserve? You know how you forgive? It's pretty simple to understand. It's very difficult to do. You start by making peace with God, and you start by experiencing his forgiveness. You start by moving from, well, I believe, you know, I believe about Jesus, to I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus, and I'm going to embrace his forgiveness he offers me. And then once you've experienced that, you think about where you've been hurt, and you identify what's been taken from you. And this is an important step. Some of you need to go home and pull out a laptop or pull out a notebook, and you need to write down all the things that were taken from you by that person. And it may take you a while. It may take you a couple weeks to think of them all. But you figure out everything that was taken from you that hurts you so deeply, all the tangible and intangible things. And then you cancel the debt. You say, they don't owe me any of that anymore. That's what forgiveness is. And once you forgive, Paul says, what you do then is you be kind, you let God avenge. You be kind, you let God avenge. You see them and those emotions start to come back and you remind yourself, my job is to be kind. My job is to be compassionate. My job is to love. I'm leaving it to God to avenge. This is crucial. Because I want you to experience lasting happiness. You want to experience lasting happiness, but unforgiveness undermines your happiness. It is peace with God that enables you to be at peace with yourself, and it equips you to make peace with others. Happiness is way more about the who's we're at peace with than any of the what's we experience. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with yourself? And are you at peace with others? If not, do the difficult work. As much as it depends on you to be at peace with everyone, because that is what makes you happy. Let's pray together.
Father, this is far easier to talk about than it is to do. And everybody's situation is different. But there are some who have listened to this, who have watched this, who the pain is so raw, the hurt is so deep, they're not even sure what to do with it. Some of us are trying to convince ourselves we don't need to do anything with it. Would you just give us the wisdom to know what to do with this? And then the courage and the boldness to identify what's been taken from us, to cancel the debt, and then to be kind and leave it to you to avenge, even though that is incredibly hard. But that is what leads to happiness. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hope you guys have an incredible week. Bring a friend next Sunday for new rules for love, sex, or dating. We'll see you then. Well, you already know. So just imagine.